Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. Matthew 5 and Philippians 2. How many of you guys have been with us in the book of Romans? Okay. And especially as we hit Romans chapter 12, we have turned a corner. We have gone from talking about all of the amazing mercies of God that He has poured out upon us, right? Taking a sinner like me and uh, swapped out my unrighteousness for Jesus' righteousness. A whole list of amazing mercies. We've turned the corner from talking about those things to Romans chapter 12 now becomes our reasonable response. This is how I respond to God's mercies. This isn't how I earn God's mercy. No, mercy is mercy. A gift is a gift. But this is how I should properly respond. Okay? Verses 1 and 2 are the overarching view of that reasonable response. If you don't have these memorized, these would be great verses to memorize. And broken down, this is what verses 1 and 2 say. Look, your reasonable response to God's mercies is this. Relinquish your body. That's as the headquarters of everything you do. Give yourself to Him. Number two, resist the world's conforming. And that's going to be really important today. Remember that our job is to resist the way the world thinks. But instead, the, the third point is renew your mind. That is, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? And then the result, you see there at the end of, of those verses, you will prove what is that good and acceptable uh, will of God. Another way to say that, you will prove what God can do with a sinner like you. Verses 3 through 8, we saw that, look, this metamorphosis, because that's what the word is, that transformation word there. This metamorphosis, where is it first going to show up? Right here in the church. Not in the building, but among believers. The laboratory for God's metamorphosis is right here. And it's going to show itself in service and humbly deferring to others. Okay? See, God is working a metamorphosis in us. He is changing us. And I'm saying this by faith and actually it's some by sight. I, I know many people where I can see just from knowing you last year to this year. He is changing us from men and women, for instance, who used to only think about themselves to those who think more of others. He is performing a metamorphosis from those whose primary question in life was, how can I serve me? Or how can you serve me? To, how can I serve you? What can I do for you? Paul continues then this subject of the transformed life. Look, if you and I will relinquish our body daily to Him, if we will refuse to be conformed, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind, then there's no, there's no end to what He can do. We've been praying for revival. You know how revival starts? In me. He transforms me, and then other people notice, and they say, huh, that's pretty cool. How can I, can you tell me more? See, we're to be, as we go through this, this is kind of the, the message. Christians, we are to be transformers. We are to be different than we were yesterday or, or last year. And chapter 12 is all about, and this is important to understand this, to wrap your head around it. Chapter 12 is all about what the end product should look like. So as we go through these, this list, and this is like a machine gun fire of application, okay? As we go through this list, there's going to be some things you're like, okay, I'm, 
I am closer to that than I was last year. But there'll be some others like, whoa, there's still plenty of room for transformation. If as we go through these verses, you are convicted, guess what? God wants to do a transformation in you in that area. If you are not convicted, then he's really got some transformation to do, right? What I want to do, and I want to set this up right so that you understand, I don't, don't want to fool you at the end. I want to do something different. You guys know a lot of times we'll have a time of application at the end where I will review every single possible application, or at least that comes to me. If I did that today with the machine gun fire of application, you all be here till three or four in the afternoon, okay? So you're like, okay, let's do something different. Um, Rather than that, this is what I want to do. I want to, as you're going through this list, and this is what we did on Thursday, when you see something that's really particularly convicting, wow, I'm not close to that at all. Would you put a, either a little check mark by it or write it down or highlight it? Do something so that you can remember. Because what I'd like to do at the end, uh, if I don't keep yapping forever, I'd like to save a little time where in small groups we just pray real quick for one another. Uh, oh, you want to pray for forgiveness. Okay, you want to pray for this. Um, a chance to allow the Lord to do what he says he's going to do, which is transform us. Okay? Now, this is, it's, some of you guys are already freaking out and thinking, okay, how can I escape uh, so I don't have to pray with other people? This is why it's important to be given to hospitality, to seek out strangers. And if you are a, uh, if this is your home church and you're really comfortable here, will you look out when it comes time? Will you look out for those who are uncomfortable and just say, take them and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Don't make them pray. Okay? Those kind of things. And, let, you know, hopefully they're willing, but you, you see where I'm going. All right. So that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at. On Thursday, then, we see, we saw how the transformer acts. Okay? Today, primarily what we're going to see is how the transformer reacts okay look at verse 14 this is where we left off bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse so the transformer the transformed christian reacts to persecution with blessing okay right away i'm like okay i got something to pray about i mean that is different isn't it when somebody treats you really badly isn't it pretty unique and different to treat them nicely? Let's say someone treats you badly, they curses you, they curse you, they shoot you a hand signal on the road and it's not the thumbs up sign. Is your first reaction to, "Oh, bless you, brother?" It's not it's not a natural reaction. It's a supernatural reaction. It's only possible in the life of a transformer. God would only ask this of somebody who is one of his transformers. The world says, what? Don't get mad, get even. Paul says, don't get even. Bless. Wow, that's, that's a transformation. The word bless there is eulogio. It means to speak well of. It's the, where we get the word eulogy. Right, a eulogy is when you speak well of someone after they're dead. <laughs> Paul says to the transformers in this room, look, when someone treats you badly, you speak well of them. You pronounce blessing on them. If it helps, just think of it like you're delivering their eulogy early. Now in verse 14, it's almost like Paul can hear us protest. Because he says, bless those who persecute you. And then it's like, you heard me. <laughs> 
bless and do not curse. He knows that this is supernatural stuff. He knows that this isn't something that you're just going to be like, okay, I can do that. This is radical. It is not natural. It is supernatural. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking. He says, Matthew 5, verse 43. This is your Lord. If you know him, this is your Lord, your king speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. That you might be a transformer, right? You may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward of you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And we say, oh, that's where Paul learned this. Jesus says, look, if you only love those who love you, How are you a transformer? Aren't you just a conformer to the way the world thinks? Remember, verse 2 of chapter 12 of Romans says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A transformer, listen, reacts to cursing. Not with cursing. That's a conformer. With blessing. Turn now back with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 15. He says, also a transformer rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep. Now, that sounds simple enough, right? Probably most of us like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But what if, though, the one rejoicing is a co-worker who got a promotion that you were up for? What if someone is rejoicing that they got a great deal on a foreclosure and it was yours? See, to rejoice with that person is supernatural. It's not natural. Or what if the one weeping is someone who has spent a good portion of their life gossiping about you? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. See, sometimes it's natural to want to rejoice when another weeps and to weep when they rejoice and that's what a world conformer does naturally but a transformer does this supernaturally reacts with compassion no matter who it is that has uh, is weeping or rejoicing now in verse 16 we see that a transformer reacts with humility verse 16 be of the same mind toward one another of the same mind in the Greek, when you look up that phrase, it means it has two definitions. I love this. The first one is to be modest, to not let one's opinion, though just of himself, exceed the bounds of modesty. Okay, so it means to be modest. Second, second definition, to be of the same mind that is agreed together, to cherish the same views, to be harmonious. Interesting then, to me, just in this one phrase, the Bible talks about this that I'm going to share with you. In all sorts of areas. But just in this one phrase, it talks about not only unity, but humility. This reminds me of one of my favorite axioms. Some of you are very familiar because you've heard me say it probably 
lots of times. Unity in diversity only comes through humility. Unity in the midst of diversity, there's no way that it can happen unless through humility. I learned this from Ravi Zacharias. You know where the word university comes from? Uni is one. Versity is diversity. From many, one. That's supposed to describe the, uh, the academic culture in college. You know what? It's also supposed to describe our nation. E pluribus unum. And it definitely should describe God's church. It really should describe this church. I'm thankful that I think it does. Look, unity, diversity. No doubt, y'all, that we have diversity here. Some homeschool. Some use public school. Some are organized. Some are creative. (laughs) That's what I say to help myself feel better. Some come from a charismatic background. Some come from a very liturgical background. Some of you vote the way I would. Some of you vote wrong. <laughs> no, wait, actually, that, that illustrates my point in the negative, right? How is it that so many people, and when you think about it, you look around the room... So many people with so many different backgrounds, preferences, styles, convictions even, can worship together without holy war. There's only one way. Unity in diversity only happens through humility. You'll see it there, uh, middle of verse 16. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the what? Humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Okay, this is a theme that when you look... At a call for unity, you will very close nearby see uh, a call for humility. Turn to Philippians 2. I promise you, you'll see the same order of things. Philippians 2, Paul calls for, for unity, and then he says, look, the only way to do it is by being humble. Okay, I'm going to make you guys do that thing that some of you hate. When I pause, I want you guys to say the word unity. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my job by being like-minded. All right, we're going to go for more unity than that next time. Here's the next phrase. Having the same love. Being of one accord. Of one mind. Those are all unity type words. Those are all saying, look, we've got to think alike. We've got to somehow uh, not only exist together, but thrive together. Okay? Now, notice that. Now, here's the method. Always after the call of unity, you will see the method, the only way that you can pull it off. Verse 3. This time, I want you guys to say humility. Nice and loud. Okay? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Humility. But in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You guys see it? Both places here, a transformer 
is able to not just get along with people who thinks differently or sees things differently or even has different convictions, but actually live harmoniously and enjoy their company. And the way it only the only way it happens is by way of humility, thinking less of yourself, thinking more of that other person, looking not out not only for yourself, but for him as well. And if you need an example, Paul gives that there in Philippians 2 as well. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, humility, taking the form of a bondservant, humility, and coming in the likeness of men. Boy, that's a real step down for God. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Okay, that's humility, even the death of of the cross. You can't get more ignominious, sorry, long word, for humble than the death on the cross. Okay? Y'all, um, I shared this briefly and I'll try to do it again briefly here. I've shared this with just a few of you and I'm going to say it on, on tape so now it'll, it'll really be out there. You know how Martin Luther King had a dream? I, I feel like I have a dream for a church. How cool would it be to be the first church that I, I'm aware of that would go 20 years, 30 years without a church split? That's not to say that people won't leave and go, you know what, this is not my style. Uh, no, thanks. And, and that maybe even people might leave and say, boy, I hate those people. But to have a split, you have to have at least a good half of the people, probably all of the people, not humble. You have to have people to say, my way is the right way, and, and I don't care about the rest of you. Does that make sense? What if, if every time someone decided this wasn't the place for them, we could come to a place, look, we don't agree philosophically or, or in implementation or anything like that, but what if everyone left this church feeling respected and loved? That kind of unity in diversity, I promise you, only happens by way of humility. A transformer, and that's what we want to be, isn't it? Reacts with humility. Verse 16 now of Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind that is humble, harmonious toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Uh, the definition is honor, riches, but associate with the humble that is the low to the ground. That literally is what that means. Now, it reminds me, you know that some people actually go to church to network. They, they'll come to a church and they say, look, look, I need to go to a place where I can rub elbows with somebody who can get me a job. I need to go to a church filled with influential people. We don't have that problem. <laughs> but, but if you know anyone like that, Quote them this verse. Look, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Come to Calvary Chapel. Right? But listen, on, the, on a smaller scale, we sort of touched on this on Thursday night as well. Who do you hang out with at church? Are you only hanging out with those who are you're comfortable with? Who are influential in, in your circle? Only the movers and the shakers are the folks that have got it together. Or do you associate with those who are low to the ground, humble, those who are hurting? Because a transformer, Paul says, hangs out with those who are low to the ground. 
It really kind of comes down to the end of verse 16. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You guys know anybody who's wise in their own opinion? You're all looking at me. Um, No, you know, the guy that says, boy, or you say of them, boy, that guy sure is smart. Just ask him. Application-wise, instead of looking at that person, what about yourself? What is your opinion of yourself? You feel like, hey, I got, I got most of the answers. People are lucky to know me. I tell you what, if you are conformed to this world and it's getting more and more this way, then you will begin to think that you're an expert in everything. Just watch TV, you'll see that if you're like the average person, you think you're the greatest singer in the world. The greatest singer you know, at least. Uh, You could rid the world of cancer and achieve peace in the Middle East if the rest of us would just get out of your way. More and more, that's how we are trained to think. And with the information age, even more so. Do we have that slide ready? You're not deep. You're not an intellectual. You're not an artist. You're not a critic. You're not a poet. You just have Internet access. (laughs) Right? We have this box that makes us go, wow, I am so smart. The rest of the world needs to hear this. This is all about being wise in your own eyes. I, I shared this a couple of weeks ago. I want to share it again. Look, the, the quickest way to stunt your spiritual growth to almost assure no spiritual transformation is to think that you're already transformed, that you're already wise. Pride is the effectual, let's call it the force field for real Wisdom. Proverbs says, you see a guy who's wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for him. Because he already thinks he's got it figured out. A transformer is not wise in his own opinion. But chances are he's very wise in the opinions of others. Back to verse 17, Romans 12, verse 17. Next, a transformer repays, man, now it's really getting hard, repays good for evil. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Uh, The word repay there is apodidomai. It means to pay back, to get back, to get even. Y'all, we love payback, don't we? Maybe you've heard this one. If If you've heard it, just be quiet for the rest of us. The trucker, he's a quiet man. He's just minding his own business. He stops at a truck stop, orders his breakfast. And in come these three hell's angels. And they are wanting to pick a fight. One guy eats this gentleman trucker's pancakes with his hands. Staring him down. Says, you going to do anything about it? Next guy drinks this guy's orange juice. Throws the glass to the floor. Shatters. You got a problem with that? Third guy slurps the trucker's coffee. And then pours the rest on his head. Obviously, these guys are wanting a reaction. The guy just quietly pays his bill, goes to his truck, and drives off. Bikers look at each other smugly. He's not much of a man. Waitress says, apparently not. He's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over three Harleys out there. (laughs) You know why we love that joke? (laughs) Because we love payback. It's natural. It's totally natural to love payback. 
That's what makes Paul's words here supernatural. They are only achievable by transformers. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. No, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. The word good things there is kalos. It means beautiful, handsome, excellent, admirable. And he says have regard for, uh, that word means, uh, or phrase means beforehand to think, to take care. Now let me put those two together for you. Keep your thinking caps on here. What Paul is saying then is this. Look, take care beforehand to live the excellent, beautiful life in the sight of all men. Not just your friends. Not just the ones that are nice to you. Take care beforehand to live that winsome life. If you weren't with us in, in the book of First Peter, we talked about the winsome life. And I think we're going to be talking more about it here in the next uh, few weeks. The winsome life. The winsome citizen. The idea is this. If you continually, even in the midst of persecution, will live a winsome life, you will win some to Christ. Supernaturally. Because nobody, even those who try hard, you can't pull that off for very long to actually return good for evil. But it's interesting to me in this verse, when you break it down, that Paul is hinting that this takes some pre-planning, y'all. Let me ask you, what's your mindset when you go into work? What's your mindset when you go out in the public square? What's your mindset when you open your door from your bedroom to go into your family? Is your mindset, look, get out of my way, I've got to get stuff done? Or is it, Lord, no matter how people treat me, let me live the winsome life in response? And the crazy thing is, if you actually do this, the worse that they treat you, the more supernatural your response will appear to them. Again, because that's just not normal. People don't do that. See, the transformer repays no one evil for evil, but lives a beautiful life before all men. But it takes some pre-planning. Verse 18, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, some of us are probably, okay, whew, at least there's some realism there. <laughs> right? You look at it and you're like, okay, this is all like supernatural stuff. But what he's saying is, look, there, there, there are times when it's truly not possible to be at peace with someone. But, but don't misunderstand, this doesn't really get us off the hook that much. What he's saying here is, look, no one has complete control over a relationship with two people in it. All you have control of is your part of the relationship. But what we are called to do is not be an instigator or even a continuer of strife, but to be that those who do everything we can in our power to uh, live peaceably, it says, with all men. Paul's saying, look, there's some people, you can pray for them, you can treat them with respect, you can live the winsome life, you can desire to walk in peace with them, but they absolutely refuse. But here's the thing, you, you, you can only do what you can do, right? But what I don't want you to miss is, you must do what you can do. And y'all, there's plenty that we can do to pursue peace. The Bible says we're supposed to pursue peace. We prefer if peace would just hunt us down. But we're supposed to pursue peace with others. Uh, Matthew 18, 
is all about, he says, if your brother offends you, go to them. If they hear you, you've won your brother. But, he says, sometimes you can't live at peace with them because they don't hear you. So then do this next thing. Uh, There's plenty that you can do to pursue peace. Ask forgiveness. Uh, Grant forgiveness. Here's, Here's a perhaps convicting question. Is there someone with whom you're not at peace right now? And if you're honest, you haven't really done all you could do to restore that relationship. And notice that this doesn't apply only to Christians. It should certainly apply to Christians, but it says to all men. Let me create a scenario for you or maybe remind you of your own. Maybe there's an unbeliever in your life who has treated you terribly because you are a Christian. Okay? But when you think it through, you haven't really been all that winsome to them. For you then, verse 18 would probably sound like this coming out of your lips. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm a Christian and I'm never going to apologize for serving Christ. But as I've thought of it, I should have treated you with more respect. Or I could have not said that or not done this. Y'all, if I'm speaking about a, a situation in your life, this could be the biggest evidence of transformation in your life to that person. They're like, wait a second, you're a Christian and I've been treating you pretty bad. They won't actually say this probably with their lips. They might. And now you're coming and apologizing to me? Well, yeah, I've thought about it and I could have done this. Y'all, that is evidence of a transformed life. Because I promise you, the world does not say sorry. But Christians do. And they should. Verse 19. Romans 12, verse 19. Paul says, look, beloved. I love that. It's agapetos. It means little loved ones. Okay? So it's like Paul is gathering us up again saying, okay, little loved ones, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The word avenge and vengeance, there's the same root word. It's ekdikeo. It means to vindicate one's rights, uh, to do one justice, uh, to protect or defend one person from another. It means to punish. Um, What Paul is saying here in verse 19, the transformer does not avenge himself or defend himself. Okay, now that's not to say uh, that you husbands, fathers, shouldn't defend your family, right? But saying in general, you look at a Christian, they should, there should not be that same uh, desire to get revenge, get even. See, Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, where God says, Vengeance is mine and recompense. That means pay back. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand and the thing to come will hasten upon them. Basically, in both, both spots, Deuteronomy 32, where he's quoting from, and here in Romans 12, remember God is saying to his beloved, his little ones, you guys, saying, do not avenge, for vengeance is mine. If this is where God is ringing your bell, you need to hear the voice of God. He's saying to you this morning, don't do it. That's my job. Justice is my gig. 
Do you ever try to do God's job for Him? When you defend yourself, when you make things right on your own, you are doing God's job for Him. He wants to be your defender. But I tell you what, what the world does, conformers, they make sure that they get their pound of flesh. But a transformer, Paul says, verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to or make room for wrath. Oh, okay. Now it's starting to sound a little better. Give place to, make room for wrath, God says, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? One of, one of the things he's saying here is this. Look, if I avenge myself, if I said, look, I, I will get justice and it'll be on my timetable the way I want to do it. If I avenge myself, my avenger in heaven sits down. Okay, guess you got it. Go for it. So you really only have two choices. You can defend yourself, you can settle the score, or you can trust God. You can let God do it. Now let me ask you, who do you think has more experience and is better at achieving justice? You or God? Oh, now you might be quicker. We're pretty quick to avenge ourselves. But I guarantee you, you won't be better. Think about all of the things that you, a, a little man, a little woman on this little speck of dirt called earth, lack compared to God in this area. Number one, you don't have all the facts. There's no way that you could actually know every single thing that is pertinent to this case. Only God knows the end from the beginning. Only God has all the facts to dispense justice correctly. Number two, maybe you're afraid that God won't be hard enough on this person who has wronged you. I would tell you, if that's how you feel, just read the Old Testament. God understands wrath. Just read Romans chapters 1 and 2. First part of 3. God gets wrath. And He says, look, if you want to take this, okay, but I'm sitting down. It's yours if you want it. But if instead you will trust me, I will bring justice. I will make this right. Number three, God resists the proud, the Bible says, but he gives grace to the humble. So when I demand justice on my time, table, am I proud or humble? I'm proud. So suddenly I, who have been wronged, have now made myself one who God must resist. He must resist me because I'm proud. Does that make sense? I can either, I only have two choices. I can either avenge myself, half-informed, proud, not trusting God, and doing a very weak job of it, or I can trust God, who has a proven track record of being just and very thorough when it's necessary when it comes to wrath. See, the, the conformer settles the score for himself, but the transformer lets God be his defender, his avenger. Verse 20. Therefore, and, and here's what we want it to say. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, eat a juicy burger in front of him. If he is thirsty, say, Saka, no water for you. But wait, no, that's not what it says. Verse 20 says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. It's from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. 
Now, Paul has now turned an even more severe corner when it comes to, really? Do people actually do this? Because he's gone from, think about it, just commanding non-cursing in this situation. Now he's expecting active blessing. You see that? He's gone from commanding passive non-cursing to active blessing our enemies. But there is a silver lining. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. You're like, okay, I'm on board now. If there's any way that I can heap coals of fire on his head, I'm, I'm in with it. Honey, I found my memory verse here. I'm going to memorize this one right after the one where David says, Lord, kick their teeth in. Now, what does he mean exactly here when he says you'll heap coals of fire on on their head? Well, there's some debate on on what it means. There's a couple options. And the good news is, I can tell you from the get-go, both options are pretty good. Number the, the first option that seems to appear to me on the face of it is this. Look, Paul might be saying, look, the nicer you are, and it's met with injustice, like they they just never let up. They just keep uh, not conforming, right? The the worst the worse you are, the worse they are to you, and the the better you are to them. It's like you are giving place to wrath. It's like you're handing you're not doing it yourself, but you're handing God a bigger hammer, <laughs> right? Says, so look, if you if you if you're nice to them, if you give them a drink of water, if you feed them. You're making the injustice so obvious that God will act. And when he acts, it will be decisive. Okay? That's kind of the, the fun way to look at it. But here's, here's the, the other uh, view that possibly maybe he may be saying here. Apparently back in the day, if, the fire, if your fire went out, right? Because fire was hard to come by. You would go to your neighbors and you would ask them for an ember. So that you could start your fire again, right? You would uh, take it then to your home and you'd be able to start your fire. Well, let's say that someone treated you or your family horribly. And one day, you hear their fire has gone out. (laughs) Right? First reaction would be, yeah, there you go. Don't be coming to me asking for fire. But what this is saying is, look, an act of kindness would be for you to go to them. Right? And there's there's a dish on their head, so it's not like you're actually putting it on their, their heads. You would heap coals of fire up on their head, and they would be able to take it home and start their fire again. If that's the scenario that they're referring to here, then think about the picture. As your enemy walked home with your blessing on his head, it would be a silent testimony to the whole neighborhood. It would be a picture. Everybody would know how cruel he had been to you. But everybody would see that he had been forgiven. You had blessed him in the midst of his cursing. So which is it? I don't know. I don't know which of those is is the actual uh, meaning that Paul was going for. But I'll tell you what, I like them both. Because it covers both bases. Right? You go back to verse 18 and it says, look, not everybody's going to respond the way you might like them to, to your kindness. Okay, well then you're just handing God a hammer, a bigger hammer. But if they do respond, then you have won your brother. If you bless him, you feed him, you give him a cool drink on a hot day, he continues to hate you, then you're like, sweet, hot coals on his head. (laughs) But if you bless him and instead he comes to his senses and he goes, I don't know what is my problem, why I've been treating you this way. You've been so kind to me. Will you forgive me? All of a sudden, you have become winsome and you will win some. To Christ. 
That's what it says actually in verse 21. Do not become, do, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do we have a slide for that one? Do we? Don't know? Okay, gotcha. Verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The wrath of man never brings about the righteousness of God. You can never use evil to overcome evil. If that's not making sense, uh, it's sports season, right? How many of you guys are football watchers? Okay? Okay? I, that don't, I meant guys generically. My wife was, had her high, hand up the highest. If you watch sports at all, how many times have you heard a, a player say, look, if we can just get them to play our game, we'll win. If we fall into the trap of playing their game, we're sunk. Right? Whether it's one team goes about by smash-mouth football, it's just grinded out, right? Or another team is like finesse, and it's a run-and-gun deal. Look, if we can just get them to play our game, then we win. Do you see where this is going? There's no way you can overcome evil with evil. It just doesn't work. It doesn't, it's not possible. The only real way to overcome evil is with good. Abraham Lincoln said it best, and in much shorter time than it's taken me, look, the best way to, to destroy an enemy is to make him a friend. I mean, you can literally obliterate a lot of your enemies by treating them kindly. Some of them will become your friends. And the rest will have heaps of coal on their head. Not bad, right? Okay, here's the deal. As we close, this whole message and Thursday's message is all about the transformer. This is a supernatural thing that's supposed to be happening in all of our lives, okay? How many of you have been with us when we have prayed as we've gone through the book of Romans? We're praying for revival. You remember that? Anyone? Okay, we need more of you to be aware of that. We're praying for revival in this book. As we go through this book, this book has a, has a history, uh, a proven track record of changing uh, communities, nations. Martin Luther, the, the Reformation happened because he read this book and caught on fire and the people around him caught on fire. Because he was transformed, the people around him became also transformers. Here's what I'm getting at. If we will respond to God's mercy in chapters that we find in chapters 1 through 11, if we will respond the proper way, we give him our lives, we say, okay, Lord, I, don't, I won't be conformed to the image of this world, but I will be renewed in my mind that I might be a transformer. If we will allow him to live a supernatural life in me, in us, you know what's going to happen? I guarantee you, some of your neighbors will notice. Some, especially the people that hate you will notice. They will see transformation in you and that's when a community begins to be transformers. If you do this, if you will actually seek to have the Lord transform you in this way, you will see Christ transforming your neighborhood. You will see him transforming your workplace. All of it being transformed if he's transforming you in the process, in me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your gentleness. I thank you for all these disciples. Lord, what we desire is to be transformed.
Lord, we don't want to be conformed to an ideology or a set of rules. We certainly don't want to be conformed to the way the world thinks in general. But Lord, we must be transformed. Our hope, Lord, our children's hope, our community's hope, Lord, rest in this, Lord, that, that you actually have and do and are able and desire to transform us, to make us different and better than we are now. So we come to you, Lord, humbly and ask that you would help us to be not conformed to the world, Lord, but transformed. Lord, these, there are some things in here that are really obvious to me, Lord, that I, I'm, I'm not transformed in the way you'd have me to be. And Lord, if there are other folks in that category, Lord, I pray you'd help us to, to come humbly before you and trust you, Lord, that you're in the midst of it. And Lord, if there's anything that's uh, kind of delaying our progress, sin that we're holding on to or this or that, Lord, you take it away and you would transform us into your image. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.